0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce Dr. Derek Novacek. We discuss Black mental health during the COVID crisis and the need for culturally competent care. Dr. Novacek offers expertise in evidence-based treatments for anxiety, mood disorders, and family therapy. He practices a collaborative and strength-based approach that integrates sociocultural factors as appropriate and in line with his notable research on this topic, including this recent peer-reviewed paper, Mental Health Ramifications of the COVID-19 Pandemic for Black Americans. Welcome, Derek.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, you know, I was really interested in having you on because I've heard a little bit about your research in terms of disparity in access to mental health care. And I think it's a really important topic to address. And I'd love to hear more about your work and the research you do and how that translate to clinical work.
1: Yeah, certainly. So I had the opportunity to work with a group of colleagues from UCLA and one of my former graduate school classmates on a couple of papers recently on mental health disparities in the time of coronavirus, which I think is obviously especially relevant. And I think when we were all getting the information about the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on communities of color, in particular Black Americans, Hispanic and Latinx Americans, Indigenous folks, I just felt like that there needed to be kind of a call to action for the mental health field. So, with uh, with a group of colleagues, I wrote a a couple of papers focused especially on Black mental health during the pandemic, and just talked about the existing inequities, disparities, and in access to care, utilization of care, and how that was all coming to head during the pandemic, and what that meant for our field in the future, and how we talked about this initial wave of the pandemic affecting physical health and people contracting the virus, but then there was going to be the second wave of mental health distress from people who contracted the virus, maybe lost a loved one, or, you know, just the general distress that many of us have experienced throughout the pandemic. And so the paper, we really wanted to situate it in the context of systemic inequities and education and healthcare access and employment and how that was coming to a head during the pandemic. And also to talk about while we were still early on in in the pandemic, when we were writing these pieces, we knew a, a lot about how things might play out from other health crises other epidemics the hiv aids epidemic which also disproportionately affected black communities what the mental health consequences of that were and then also other public health crises public health disasters like the flint water crisis hurricane katrina hurricane andrew other natural disasters that have led to increased psychological distress for Black communities in particular,
0: and I guess one question I have is: so an impact on the psychological well-being of a community. How does that then translate to an individual's experience? What do you then see in terms of an increase of depression, anxiety? I mean, what what do you see in terms of the trends of things that are emerging?
1: Right. So I think the data that we are seeing nationally and and other data that have come out of other countries during the pandemic is just a a widespread increase in depression and anxiety in particular. But then you also have risk for post-traumatic symptoms, for PTSD, particularly among individuals who maybe contracted the virus themselves and were isolated from their friends and family for a period of time. People who lost a family member or a loved one unexpectedly due to the virus, and then kind of this secondhand trauma of just seeing so many people in your community fall to the virus or fall ill or die, the constant sounds of sirens in your neighborhood, knowing that the hospitals are, are overwhelmed, the images and the, the news that you see online, on TV and in social media, all of that kind of compounds on itself. And yeah, it results in a uh, emotional discomfort and distress that might look like depression, it might look like anxiety, um, it might look like PTSD in the long run. And we know from previous disasters that when Black Americans are disproportionately affected by the pandemic or other disasters, there are mental health consequences for that. And so our group really wanted providers, researchers, to be aware that this was coming and that we needed to be ready to help these people when the time came.
0: So it's a call to action or a a call to prepare to act.
1: Right, yeah. The first paper we wrote back in April of 2020. So it was, you know, maybe only a month into the COVID pandemic, and we started working on this paper, and then it got published in June.
0: What are the concrete actions to kind of move forward with in terms of providing treatment for this population?
1: Yeah. So one of the really big ones is the need to have culturally competent interventions and culturally competent providers. So if we know that there might be an increased risk of mental health problems for people of color, communities of color, the most vulnerable communities that have been impacted by the pandemic, then we need people on the ground, people in those communities to help them. But we need to make sure that they're, they're getting access to providers who are competent to work with them, right? Who have done the training and have the expertise and the background to serve them. That's one of the many reasons that there historically has been an underutilization of mental health services by Black Americans is because of negative experiences and treatment and not feeling like their providers are really understand them and their experiences. And then also, obviously, there are a lot of socioeconomic issues as well that prevent black people in particular from getting the the help that they need, but it also comes from this perspective uh, of them not really feeling heard Mm -hmm. in uh, their mental health experiences.
0: So do you have a sense that there's this almost a requirement to, if you're a therapist or a psychologist or a mental health practitioner in these communities, you should be in that community as well? And have the experience of living in that community and knowing that community?
1: I definitely think if people who live in the community have a unique advantage to help those around them, I think that if you're not from that community, you don't maybe don't share a common background with the people that you're helping, you can still help those individuals. I think it's just really key that you that it be collaborative, that you really try to hear from them what their story, what their experiences have been, so you really can understand where they're coming from as opposed to jumping right in with with treatment or therapy or medication. And then also doing your own work outside of session, you know, doing readings, whether they be in the empirical literature or other books to also enrich your understanding and what the people you're working with might be experiencing in addition to hearing directly from them.
0: Right. So this encouragement of these mental health providers to be curious about the person that they're treating own experience in their community, right? Is this right, idea right. that there needs to be a curiosity, a need to understand that in order to provide the best possible treatment.
1: Right, one of my favorite supervisors from my um, training at Emory always referred to having a spirit of inquiry and coming with a like a curiosity to know what your client is, is experiencing and what they've been through and where they are and hearing from them what it is they feel like they need and what what they feel like they would benefit from
0: hmm And when you were talking about this, it also made me think about kind of faith-based interventions, right? So in these communities, maybe the mental health treatment or the support maybe is provided more from kind of a faith-based group because they're literally in that community and living and breathing in that community on a daily basis, not just a provider who comes in to provide services. Can you talk a little bit about that or if you've done, there's been research on that?
1: Yeah, so uh, you're exactly right. So for Black Americans in particular, we get a lot of our social support from our faith community, from our family, from our church. And that's a unique challenge of the pandemic is that in many places, churches were closed physically. A lot of churches that had the resources, of course, went online, but that's a huge loss of social support for Black communities in particular that rely on their religious and spiritual beliefs in that community to kind of get them through really tough times. So it's been a challenge in the pandemic is, is how do you still create this community even if you're physically separated because it's so important to so many people. But yeah, there's, there's a growing recognition that in order to meet people where they're at, there needs to be more of a, a collaboration between mental health and faith-based uh, organizations and churches. I personally am definitely hearing a lot more pastors speak about mental health in their sermons, encourage people to seek mental health services, which also combats the stigma that's prevalent in our society. And it's also prevalent in Black communities because, you know, coming to an understanding that, that your spiritual beliefs are important and a spiritual coping is one of the strongest supports that people can have, particularly Black Americans, but also recognizing that there's a room for mental health services too, that actually for some folks, a combination of the two is really what delivers the best outcomes and the best improvements. Mm
0: -hmm. So thinking about COVID disparities addressing the emerging mental health needs of minorities, I guess it makes me also think about, you were talking a little bit about the direct impact that COVID has in terms of concern about contracting the virus, or if you had the virus that you were isolated for a period of time, hearing sirens, those sorts of things. But then, I mean, think about kind of a broader, kind of longer term effect is is kind of also the economic consequence of of COVID and how that impacts you or the educational impact of not being able to go to school for a period of time in person. Um, Did you address that in your research?
1: Yeah, we certainly talked about the need for for wraparound structural interventions. So not just at the individual level, but federal relief programs that are targeted towards the most vulnerable, the people who've experienced the pandemic disproportionately. We talked about the Ryan White HIV AIDS program, which is a federally funded services program that provides healthcare services, integrated healthcare services for individuals who've been diagnosed with HIV or AIDS these are clinics that are throughout the country and they integrate primary care, psychiatry, therapy all in the same place, sometimes in the same physical building and they are targeted towards people who have socioeconomic disadvantages or barriers that they may otherwise without this program may not be receiving the care that they need. So we talk about especially as we're learning that that some people are having long-term effects of the virus in terms of symptoms that may require long-term medical care and certainly if you have long-standing physical health complications that often can lead to mental health problems if somebody is now having to adjust to having this these physical health problems more than just a few weeks but maybe a few months or a few years who knows that needs to be addressed and then you have you know all of the other problems as you alluded to you know economic impacts we know obviously that, that Black Americans are more likely to have jobs that we deem essential into keeping our society going, and but that also exposes them at higher, risk, higher rates to the pandemic. There's also physical health disparities that Black Americans are more likely to have due to uh, health inequities that make them more vulnerable to more severe complications with COVID. And then I know a, a huge concern for many is the educational consequences of of remote learning of uh, doing school at home and what that's going to mean for all these children that haven't been able to be in a classroom in several months or they've been shuffled back and forth between in-person and remote. But we know when it when it rains or sprinkles in some communities, it pours in black communities. So whatever negative consequences we're seeing, you know, across the country, it's often going to be worse for Black Americans. So if we're talking about educational consequences, obviously, then I'm, I have even more concern for black children who may be at schools that don't have the resources to fully navigate the pandemic, who may not have internet access at home, who may not have a parent that's able to, to sit down with them because they're working in order to navigate their online homework and the remote schooling. So these disparities, these inequities that we knew existed before the pandemic are just being exposed and potentially heightened in the last 10 months or so. Mm, Right,
0: right. So what's the way forward?
1: I think we have to be bold, and I think we have to be creative. Um, I think, you know, with the increased attention on disparities, on inequity in our society, I think there's a real opportunity and a real social movement happening to really address these inequities that have been exposed by the coronavirus pandemic. So I think we need to think of ourselves, especially those of us who are in mental health, as advocates for justice, for equity, and and at least in the code of ethics for psychologists, it's in our code of ethics in terms of what we're called to do in our mental health care and how can we translate that outside of, of our practice. And then I think we need collaborative programming between mental health and Primary care, for example, I think there was already a movement towards integrating mental health with primary care. And I work at the, the VA, the Veterans Administration, and we see that a lot. There is more and more now, they, they often have a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the primary care clinics to really triage care really fast. We need, um, because of just the way our society operates, we need our elected officials and our leaders to realize. Of what's happening and to address it through policy changes. We talked about in our paper, as I mentioned, creating like a, a federal program similar to the Ryan White HIV AIDS program for people who've been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. We also talk about the advantages that telehealth services have brought and how, for some folks, they've reduced barriers to mental health care, to health care in general, and how. Although we all want to get back to seeing and working with our folks in person, and but keeping it flexible to where we offer more telehealth services after the pandemic as a way to create access for folks who maybe don't live very close to to where their provider is located. Or, you know, it's just a burden to get there because of costs, transportation costs, travel costs. You know, maybe they rely on public transportation and it takes them two hours to take the bus or the train to get to where their provider's located. So if they can just do a telehealth appointment, that might be a lot easier for them. So I think there's ways, things that we can take from lessons learned during the pandemic that actually might be a way of promoting equity after as well. Yeah.
0: Well, when you brought up kind of the easier access to providers over telehealth, it also kind of goes in the face of this idea that you want your provider to be in your community though, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I guess it's this idea of how can we you get the care that's needed and however that looks, right? So yes, it would be amazing to have someone in the community embedded within that community, but if that's not possible, you might as well have some service available and telehealth is very effective in some Kind of settings too. So it's always this kind of pro and con balance of kind of what's available and kind of what, how to deliver the best possible care, you know, whatever that Mm -hmm. looks like. Mm
1: Right. Yeah. And then another thing that I think is really important is the recognition that our training as psychologists, as psychiatrists, doesn't necessarily prepare us on its own to serve everyone that we may Mm -hmm. come into contact with. And so that's where that mindset of like being a forever student, um, an ongoing learner comes into play. And so, uh, you know, if you're someone that's interested in like, you know, I really want to work with communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, that's where that self motivation to learn about those communities, to learn about the people that you're wanting to help before you actually go into those communities or start working with those people to make sure that you're that you're competent, that you're prepared so that you create a positive experience for your patients, for your clients, so that they come back and they also encourage their friends and their family to seek help if they need it. I think that's one of our best approaches is is a positive word of mouth about mental health, especially in trying to combat stigma.
0: Right, yeah, good point. So actually that leads me to a question of how did this become a passion of yours, this topic?
1: Yeah, so it started um, in some of my graduate training in Atlanta. I was working at Grady Hospital, which is a large urban medical center in downtown Atlanta. Um, It serves primarily communities of color, primarily individuals from disadvantaged economic, low-income backgrounds. A lot of the people I worked with didn't have health insurance. They couldn't get care anywhere else besides Grady. And so I was really working with some of the most marginalized folks in the Atlanta area. Many people had a history of homelessness or were homeless or were in transitional housing. And that's when I really realized that working with these folks was my passion and that was my interest and ended up weaving that into my research, that at the time wasn't really focused on health disparities, but wove it into my research. um, And that's what I've pursued ever since. I've worked with different populations, individuals that have experienced homelessness, also individuals that have experienced serious mental illness like schizophrenia, but really trying to promote mental health equity for the individuals that I've worked with. And that's kind of what I, where I see my career going, developing culturally competent and congruent interventions, rethinking services to combat stigma, to break down the barriers, and make it more likely that people who have historically had bad experiences in healthcare, who aren't trusting of healthcare and mental health in particular, have positive experiences and then are able to get the care that they need.
0: Well, it's important work to be done. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So in your clinical work, does this translate to your clinical work as well? I mean, do you work directly with patients in this population or with minorities at this point?
1: I do. Yeah. So I work, in clinics both at UCLA and uh, the VA, uh, working with individuals with serious mental illness. And I also work part-time in a private practice based in downtown Los Angeles called Therapy Lab, where it's you know an interesting model of services. You know, it's upfront. People can kind of choose what type of therapy approach they want, which is obviously really different than how it typically is, but through all of those therapy lab and through my work at the VA and UCI, I always am seeking to work with the people who maybe who haven't tried therapy before, or they had negative experiences with therapy in the past, wanting to, to help them have a positive experience with mental health mm-hmm. so that they seek services in the future if they need, if they need it, if they encourage their friends and family. So yeah. both involved in research and clinical
0: yeah, and I'm I'm wondering about your private practice work. Do you see a fair amount of people of color in your practice and are they drawn to you because of kind of your cultural competency and kind of understanding kind of the background and curiosity about it?
1: Yeah, I think I think actually yeah, the majority of my clients that I'm working with in the private practice at Therapy Lab are people of color. I think that's an advantage that Therapy Lab has being based in downtown Los Angeles. It's a very diverse, vibrant area with people of all different racial ethnic backgrounds. And yeah, I mean, I I, I do think it's important. We know representation is really important. So if someone is, is seeking services and they don't see anybody that looks like them on the website, that may be a turnoff for some people and they may go elsewhere. So I think Some people are drawn to having a therapist that they may share some, some part of their identity with, which maybe increases their trust, increases their, their willingness to participate in therapy because they think, or they believe, you know, that this person at least to some extent understands some of my experiences, unfortunately still such a small percentage of psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists are black that I do find that people are really excited when they do see me working at their in their clinic or you know, they go on the private practice website and they see that I'm, that I'm listed and seeing clients. I think that is exciting for folks who maybe have never seen a Black psychologist or had the opportunity to work with one.
0: Right, right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your background with us. I mean, I think it's in a really important topic um, that I'm glad we had the chance to talk today to, to explore more. Before we end today, any kind of things that you want to bring up before before saying goodbye?
1: I think I just, you know, during this time, I just think it's really important for everybody to, to take care of themselves and to really think about how can they make the best of the situation that we're kind of all experiencing? We're all in the same storm, but we're kind of in different boats, if that makes sense. So some boats are bigger and stronger and more resilient to the storm and other boats are smaller and they're, they're more vulnerable. And so based on the boat that you're in, thinking about what it is that you can do for yourself or what services you need to help yourself. And, you know, as they say on a flight, you can't help others until you've helped yourself. So you got to think about what boat you're in and how to how to fix your boat or what can you do to fix your boat? Obviously, there may be some limitations before you try to go and help someone else's boat.
0: I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. And I'll make sure I have all your information on the episode description. So if the listener wants to learn a little bit more about you, it'll be easy to do
1: great. Perfect. Thank you. All
0: right. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe.